Good morning, everybody. Doing well? Thanks for coming to church this morning. Yeah, awesome. I'm glad to be here. It's fun. Um, there are very few pastors that I know that I can communicate with, and you don't have to go as deep into your thoughts to explain things as I do with, uh, like, Pastor Landon, and it's been sweet. I've known Landon for a really long time, and one of the things that I just want to share with you, because I'm going to guess that I've probably known Landon longer than some of you, except for Gretchen. Um, but, but, uh, but, um, it's been a mark of faithfulness for me. I've seen a lot of like really bad things happen in church. I've seen a lot of like really rough things happen and I've, you know, my heart's burdened for the people around us that we love that have left church or walked away from the Lord because of things that they've seen that have been done by churches or Christians or whatever. Right. And one of the things that I'm just really thankful for, and when I, when I feel discouraged, there's certain times in life when I just look around and I'm like, okay, who else is standing right now? Like, who else has been serving the Lord for a really long time that I can look around and be like, okay, that guy's still standing over there. I can, I, I can take another step. And Landon's one of those people. And so if you don't know that about your pastor, just take it from me. Like, he's been a really, really faithful guy and his family and everything. Like, I'm super encouraged by it. So um, I'm actually really happy that he's up teaching uh, Calvary Iron River right now because in Calvary Iron River, we're a little bit more secluded than all the people down here, right? We live way up in the UP. And I'm happy that our church is going to see his enthusiasm and know that their pastor, Seth, is not just an isolated incident. <laughs> um, and and it'll be, it's going to be encouraging. And that's what we need, though. Like, that's what we need. And a lot of Christians, they look to their pastors and they allow their pastor to be that person for them. But the Lord wants you to be that person. Like the Lord wants, like, you know, just because you don't have maybe a title as pastor, right? Or you're not leading a congregation or something. Like those of us that are leading congregations don't feel like we should be leading congregations either. So don't let that title situation dissuade you from being, you know, enthusiastic and growing in your relationship with the Lord and being a light because that's really what is contagious. Um, and so I'm going to try to pace myself. I have a lot of friends that tell me that when I give a sermon or when I teach on something that they feel like they're drinking from a fire hydrant. So, um, and I've gotten to the point in my life now where like, I don't even deny that. That's just how it is. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the Lord to slow my speech if, if need be, otherwise I'm just going to rip and we're going to go through the word and talk about the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful. Lord, we confess right now that we don't deserve any of this. Lord, your word tells us that we're sinners, Lord, and we know it. We don't even need your word to tell us we're sinners. We know that we're sinners and that we're broken and it's so hard to just do right things and to think appropriately and not to give into our flesh. And so this morning, God, with that confession going forward, um, we ask that your word would uh, speak to us, Lord, that your spirit would move in our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear, meaning that we would have the right attitude to receive from your word what it is that you'd have for us. And it's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Amen. So quick little analogy. We, we taught through it. Um, Second Peter in our church recently, and there's a section of verses in there that talk about 
how a day is as a thousand years as an, and a thousand years is as a day, right? And um, we've got uh, a very smart six-year-old in our home. And when she turned five, we were driving home from, you know, celebrating her birthday. And we're driving home and, and she says, Dad, in one minute, I'm going to be six. And I was like, eh, not really. It's going to be a year. It's going to be 365 days. She goes, no, Dad, it's going to be one minute. And I'm like, babe, you don't, you don't really know what you're talking about here. Uh, 365 days in a year, 12 months in a year, you know, four weeks in a month. You know, I broke it all down. And, and she goes, uh, I said, so you don't really know what you're talking about, you know? And she goes, no, Dad, you don't know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about, and I'm going to keep talking until you know what I mean. And, and I love that about my daughter. And some, some people are like, oh, you better watch out. And I'm like, no, like, that's real. And, you know, when it comes to greater issues in life, if there's things that I can't explain to her, maybe I need to go seek the Lord and figure it out myself. And that would be good. And so what happened was, is she said, you know, uh, when mommy drives me to Marquette to go to the doctor, you know, that's like a couple hours away from our house. She goes, when, when mommy takes me to Marquette to go to the doctor, sometimes, you know, I ask, I say, mommy, how long is it going to take for us to get there? And she says, it'll be just a minute, but it takes forever. So it's going to be one minute until I'm six. And when I, when I look at that time difference, so for those of you that aren't little kids anymore, for those of you that are little kids, the fourth graders are in here with us today, sometimes like a week seems like a really long time, right? How many days until Christmas? I don't know. I haven't counted yet. Okay. None of you know? All right. That, I'm, I'm in the clear. There'll be a point when you're like, there's only three more sleeps until Christmas, right? And you're going to know. And, and it's going to seem like a really long time for those kids. But for those adults that are in here, we're like, it's just a year doesn't even seem like a long time anymore, right? Now multiply that times eternity. You're the kid, and God is God. His ways are above our ways, right? There's going to be some verses that I referenced from Job this morning where God looks at Job, and he just says, where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? Like, where were you? And the reason why I open with that this morning is because we can fall into, as believers, even as believers, even as people that go to church every Sunday or, or read the Bible every morning, we can fall into patterns where we know absolutely nothing about God, but we think we do. And so as we, as we, you know, as we go into Scripture this morning, I want to open with that because I don't want to add to what we think we know about God. I want to get to know God in a real personal way, and I have to consider some of these things in order to get there. You follow me so far? Okay, so we're going to go into the Psalms a little bit this morning, um, and in the book of Psalms, it's kind of fun. We, Our church just finished the book of Psalms. It took us two and a half years. We studied verse by verse through the book of Psalms, and what happened was is it, it started in April of 2020. Um, actually, Pastor Landon and I met. Uh, at my mom's house. My mom had just had some surgery. I was down here helping out with some things, and, and Landon came over to my mom's house, and we hung out, and I told Landon, um, I said, hey, man, and this was before, this was during the toilet paper crisis. You can, now you can timestamp that, um, and, and so during that process, so now you know, you know exactly where you were. Isn't it crazy? You knew exactly where you were, and the Twin Towers got hit, and you knew exactly where you were when we ran out of toilet paper. It just is ridiculous that those two things could even be said in the same sentence. This is the thing, and is that at that moment, I, I, will, I will stand before man and God and say that I absolutely saw what was coming. I shared it with some friends. I shared it with your pastor. 
I said, hey, man, this is going to get nuts, and the church isn't ready, and they think they are. Even as a pastor, like I've shared with my congregation, like I thought as a pastor, Seth, something like the pandemic comes down, is your church ready to minister to the gospel, minister the gospel to the people around through it? I would have been like, yes, our church is ready. No, our church was not ready. It wasn't. And neither was this one, because I've talked to Landon. <laughs> okay. Why? Because we think we know. We think we understand God, but we don't. And then we mess up. What happened at that point was I believe the Lord called me to study the book of Psalms. And I didn't know why at first. I was like, okay, we're going to study the book of Psalms. I'm starting Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, right? And you, like, you can go through that whole thing. And there's 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. And it took us two and a half years. Lots of different authors to each of those Psalms. Some have background information that you can go in and you can study so that you can find better application and more information on like the context of it. Um, and some of them don't, right? And so before we go into some of these subjects, right, and we try to pull out interpretation and application from sections of scripture, there's two things that I would just want to state before we start this study. One, I'm going to bounce around in a couple different Psalms, a couple different sections of scripture. We're going to kind of focus on Psalm 42, um, which was written by the sons of Korah. But we're going to look back and we're going to try to find other variables when we study that psalm so that we can kind of get a context for what we're looking at here. The second thing that I want to share, and I kind of opened up with it a little bit, is that we need to ask the Lord to help us to reset our current mindset when it comes to our walk with the Lord. We just need to do that. It's, it's been, you know, centuries of us, you know, as believers in America, like walking with the Lord. And we, I, it's just only, it's only natural. You can go back and you can study church history. Like it goes in cycles. It was the same, check it out with the nation of Israel, right? When things were really good for the nation of Israel, like when they were prospering and things were really good, what was the next thing that happened? Sin, rebellion, you know, and then they were conquered. And the church is the same way, and you and I are the same way. We're no different. So if you look at all the variables in history, if all the variables that we see in Scripture, everything points to the fact that we, as a body of Christ, as believers today, are, are like set up for failure. <laughs> okay? And like, that's true. You can look at it. History it repeats itself. What's going on? And so we need to seek the Lord with the willingness, with the humility and the vulnerability, willingness to ask ourselves, all right, Lord, how, what things have worked their way into my walk with you that you don't want? And what things do I need to build on? And we constantly need to be asking that question. We have tons of examples of it, right, in scripture. And so we need to make sure, and this is the key, we need to make sure that our relationship with God is not based on what we believe about God, but who we believe in. Not what we believe about God, but who we believe in, right? We need to pursue God personally. So many believers that I know have allowed things to come into their life that they're told about God or that they read about God, but they haven't experienced. And then they repeat those things to other people. And sooner or later, somebody's looking at them going, you're saying this, but I, but this, I don't see it in your life, right? And then they're saying hypocrite or whatever, right? All right, so we're going to talk about David, King David for a second, all right? We're going to talk about King David. 
Just an overview of the life of David real quick to give you an example of some of the things I'm talking about. He was the youngest of a large family. He was born as part of the nation of Israel. He was a, a, a faithful shepherd as the youngest child of his family to his father, even in life-threatening situations. You know the story about the lion and the bear. It actually says that he grabbed the lion. He had the lion by the beard. A lion. You guys watch Animal Planet? A lion by the beard. Like, like not with a gun, right? Like, not with a, a taser or anything to stun the animal. Like, with his bare hands. Anointed as a child by the prophet Samuel. Called by Jehovah to one day be king over the entire nation of Israel. Think about that. Over the entire nation. After his anointing, we have record of his battle with Goliath. You know, David and Goliath, that story, right? Defeating the giant that challenged the nation as they were being attacked by the Philistines. No one, not even the king, would step up against this giant. And David walked in, and he's just like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That, which, by the way, was not just a derogatory insult. If you think, like, think about it. Like, you uncircumcised Philistine. Like, that you'd be like, whoa, touche. No. That was speaking to the fact that he was outside of the covenant with God. Who is this person that doesn't know our God trying to come against God's nation? From his core, he understood a personal relationship with God. After that, he grew into his calling, right? And, and then King Saul became jealous of him, who was the, the current king at that point. He gave in, king Saul gave in to his vulnerabilities. He gave in to his, his, his paranoia and his jealousy, and he didn't commit it to the Lord, and he ended up turning on David. David ended up having to flee for his life. His best friend, Jonathan, was killed in this incident because of King Saul's sin. The whole time, David was the anointed king of Israel. According to the word of God, according to, according to the prophet Samuel, David at any point could have been like, dude, you're not even king. I'm king. This is my legal right, according to God. What did he do? He fled for his life. David lived over two-thirds of his life as a refugee and as a renegade, running for his life. First from King Saul, but then what happened is when King Saul was taken out of the way and David stepped in to the role of king over the nation of Israel, some really good things happened, right? The walls of Jerusalem which today you can still go and see were erected. He built those walls. The city was fortified. That was like centuries of prophecy coming true. That was not just some little thing. The walls of, of Jerusalem, did I say Jericho? I meant Jerusalem, were built. And in that process, David became comfortable. And then he gave in to sin. God told him, one wife, David had hundreds. Okay? And the only, like, real fruit of having hundreds of wives, I wouldn't know, okay, but would be conflict, right? Jealousy, arguing, you know, all stuff. So what happens is David has all these wives and all of these children, and then out of the blue, go figure, there's a fight between the children. One child assaults another one. I'm trying to keep this G-rated for the fourth graders in here, okay? Assaults another one, and then, and then there's another one that gets revenge on it. The whole nation is thrown into civil war because of David's sin. David committed adultery and murder, right? And then had no ability to speak into the lives of his family because he was already still committing sin and adultery with all of these other women that God told him not to be with. He justified it. Oh, these kings that I'm going to make peace with as a global leader, you know, as a gift they gave me that, well, what am I going to do? I need to maintain. Like, you can spin it however you want. 
but he justified sin and it led to civil war in his nation. All right? So all these things take place. Sin tore apart his home. David experienced many, many victories and many defeats. And the most interesting thing about David, and this is why I'm covering the life of David here, the most interesting thing about David is that he came to certain conclusions about God that are recorded in Scripture that at that time would have been interpreted as unscriptural according to Levitical law. Do you understand that? Like David pursued God in such a personal way that when he wrote Psalm 51 and he said the sacrifices of our God are a broken and contrite heart, a Levitical priest at that moment would have said that's not true. It would have gone against his religion to write that, and yet we have it in Scripture. Why, you ask? Well, because the sacrifices of our God were not a broken and contrite heart at that time in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. The sacrifices of our God were blood. You sin, something needs to die on the altar. Blood needs to be shed. That's not what David said. David said the sacrifices of our God are a broken and a contrite heart. What does that, like, so... Well, what does that mean? He had scripture in front of him, but he came to this other conclusion about God. It's because he pursued God personally. He didn't just have to like look to the text and make sure it interpreted this way and then it always stayed that way. And then it just, no, like God is so much bigger than us. Why do we try to like contain him, right? It only leads to more problems. And so what was God's description of David early on in his life? If you go into 1 Samuel 13, 14, it says that when Samuel, this prophet, came to Saul and said, hey, dude, you're a knucklehead. You did nothing that God told you to do, and the, the anointing is now removed from you, and it's placed on David. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And that's a statement that we have. And um, in my upbringing in the church, I didn't really understand that statement. When I was a kid and we always referred to King David, oh, a man after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. What I was led to believe, probably not even intentionally, but the impression that I was given was that that was just God's stamp of approval on everything that David did. Oh, he was a man after God's own heart. And so there was nobody like David. It's just, oh, David, a man after God's own heart. No, the guy was a murderer. He was a liar. He was an adulterer. He was sinful. He, broke, he tore his family apart because he was unwilling to repent from sin that God told him not to have anything to do with. Why am I mentioning this? Because there was a part of David that was a man after God's own heart. And this is what I think it was. I think God was saying to Samuel, I, I've, I've found for myself a man after my own heart. I've found somebody that understands me. I've found somebody that understands me. I've found somebody that doesn't base who I am off of a preconceived interpretation of the text. I've found somebody that understands who I am, that even when his outside circumstances tell him that things aren't the way they should be, he still pursues me and finds me. And I've, I'm here this morning because I want to find the real meaning behind David's reference to being a man after God's own heart, but I also want us to open our eyes and to look around to be able to identify the things that we're doing wrong as believers. We're called to be ambassadors, right? We're pilgrims, we're sojourners here, we're temporary residents of this world. And God's called us to be his ambassadors. Well, if we're supposed to be, what are ambassadors? They're people that represent their home country in a foreign land. That's what we're supposed to be. This isn't our home. 
This is a foreign land, and we're supposed to be representing Christ to the rest of the world, right? And I believe that this is reference to understanding these conclusions that he came to. Like I mentioned in Psalm 51, follow me on this. You're also going to find them as we tear into Psalm 42. They're also in Psalm 139. There's all, I mean, you read Psalm 139 is one of my favorite Psalms. It takes everything that we think we know about God and it just blows it up, right? It's kind of like the end of Job. And so David not only understood the law and the prophets, but he knew the God that made them. We are not called to take and worship what we believe about God. And, and folks, the reason why this is important, it, this is a good test. Do you feel threatened when somebody challenges what you believe about God? Do you feel like you have to get defensive? Well, but I believe that, like, if God is, I mean, if this has affected my life in a way that I'm not even, like, I don't want to say this correctly, and I'm not telling you to, to be like this, but this is, what, this is how this has changed my life. I have friends right now that have completely walked away from the Lord. Completely walked away from the Lord. And you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I'm not happy that they're going through confusion in life. But God is bigger than me. And God loves them more than I do. I'm not to worry. I'm not, like, God can speak to them. It's not my job. Yes, there's times when I should share the gospel with them. But, like, I'm not, oh, no. You know, because when I do that, I'm just pretending that I love them more than I really do. I'm selfish. I'm an evil person given to my flesh. And it's just like, oh, Lord, I'm just so broken for these. I honestly, I don't have the brokenness that Jesus had when he looked at Jerusalem and wept. I don't have that brokenness. I can't look out the window and weep for the cars driving by right now. But you know why? It's because I have hope. Every single person in this room, every single person driving down that road right now, God loves them more than you or I could ever imagine, and he has the ability to speak to them. All I'm responsible for is doing what God's told me to do. That's how these kinds of concepts have affected my life. I can tell for some of you that are looking at me right now, you're like, whoa, that's crazy. What are you talking about? That's okay. I want to share these things with you because God is so much, we, and if you have a hard time understanding that, I'm not trying to be mean to you this morning, but that just indicates that you don't realize how big God is. All right? Let's turn to Psalm 42. David's circumstances. Extremely trying and dynamic circumstances. All right? They, don't, they didn't dictate his relationship with God. In fact, there were times when David saw discrepancies in what he thought he believed about God and his current circumstances. And this is stuff that we have to deal with today. David saw his relationship with God, and there were times that his circumstances seemed to clash with what he believed about God. Ever have that go on? God, what in the world is going on right now? I can't believe it. Oh, they're passing this law, and they're passing that law, and oh, no. Right? And God's like, hey, remember when I was there, and I was Jesus, and I said, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves? I told you this was going to happen. Right? Okay? Psalm 42. Yearning for God in the midst of distress. This was written by the sons of Korah. Um, these were priests in the temple that were worship leaders. Okay, um, In Psalm 42, it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? God, I want you. I am I'm in distress right now. I need you. This is an SOS, right? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? 
right? That's happening to all of us right now. People looking around, what, where is your God? And you're like, well, I'd like to be able to prove him to you, but it's a faith thing. And, you know, you just got to, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. This is distress. For I used to go with the multitudes when I went from them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Now, what does that have to do with anything? A pilgrim feast? Is this Thanksgiving? What's going on? All right. This is David in a season of life when he was king of the nation and now he's on the run as the rightful king of the nation of Israel by God. If anybody in the history of anybody has the ability to say, I have the right to fight for my cause, it was David here in this situation. I'm the rightful king. God told me so. These are the things that have happened, right? He had a a pretty good rep sheet with, you know, the lion and the bear and Goliath and all the other Philistines and not killing Saul when he was gonna. And then, you know, the deliverance that had taken place in the way that God had provided for him. He had decades of testimonies at this time. He had the ability to stand on his rights and say, this is what God has called me to do and I'm going to do it. He didn't. He was living as a, re- a, a refugee at this time. He was living as a re- renegade. Everybody was trying to kill him. There were armies that were mounted against him as the rightful king of the nation of Israel. And why is he upset? Is he upset because, well, I'm not in my home anymore. I got kicked out because all these people are trying to kill me. God, you should avenge me. I'm the rightful king. No, none of those reasons were the reasons why he was upset. You want to know why he was upset? Because he couldn't go before the tabernacle and worship God. It had nothing to do with the circumstances outside of him being able to worship the Lord. The interesting thing is this. Why are you cast down on my soul? He recognizes it. And he calls himself out. He's taught, whenever David says, oh, my soul, or whenever, whenever, you know, in the Psalms right here, we have the sons of Korah. When there's this statement, oh, my soul, that's them having to speak to themselves. That's a moment when you're like looking in the mirror going, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Okay. That's what's happening right now. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from uh, the hill Mazar. Deep calls to deep, the noise of your waterfalls. At your waves, billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night a song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Why? Why am I doing it? Like, we, guys, we need to be asking ourselves these questions. I'm in a lot of circles of Christians right now, and their prayers are, Lord, we pray that you would, you know, just set things right in our country and all this stuff. And I'm just like, get over it. We are pilgrims. This isn't our country. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. We are supposed to go. God did not call Christians to go and start their own nation. He called Christians to go into every other nation and profess the gospel. That, and I know that's challenging because we've had centuries of this just built into our lives. This is not our home, right? As the deer pants for the water, my soul desires you, God, despite the circumstances. And, and even if these circumstances continue on, I'm going to pursue you. My hope is not contingent on my circumstances. My relationship with God is not contingent on my circumstances. My circumstances should be contingent on my relationship with God, right? Matthew Henry, who is a theologian, wrote, David remembered the days of old, and when his soul was poured out in him, he melted away. 
And the thought almost broke his heart. He poured out his soul within him in sorrow and then poured out his soul before God in prayer. But what was it that occasioned this painful melting of spirit? What was it that hurt David? It was not the remembrance of pleasures of the court or the entertainments of his own house from which he was now banished that afflicted him, but the remembrance of the free access that he had formerly had to God's house. That's the only thing that affected David. That was the only thing. When, it, when, when he was going before the Lord, it doesn't mean the other things didn't negatively affect him. They obviously do. Comfort is comfort, okay? Sometimes life just hurts. And those things did hurt David. But the thing that caused him to cry out to the Lord was not the creature comforts around him. It was the ability to go into the court and to worship God personally. Remember, David was not afraid to follow his heart for God, even when no one else would follow. He wasn't afraid to do it. You have many examples in scripture where David did it. He was even rebuked by his wife. Remember when he was rebuked by by his wife, when they brought the tabernacle into Jerusalem and he was so excited that it says he was dancing in his linen ephod and his wife was like, what are you doing? Right? And he's like, and he's like, get over it. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to do it. In Psalm 42, there's a critique of why are you downcast? And Folks, every single one of us needs to be asking ourselves, why are we downcast? Why are we downcast? And it's a rhetorical question. (laughs) None of you have good reasons, right? And if you think you have a good reason, it's because you were alive to this world, right? When my dad died when I was 20, the night that he died, I saw his dead body laying on the hospital bed, right? And there were two things that I saw. I saw my family who was in the most distress that I'd ever seen in my life. And I saw my father's leftover body that was laying there and he looked peaceful. And I discovered something. The Lord spoke to me in that moment and said, Seth, the worst thing, the most terrifying thing that you're ever going to see in this world is something that is alive to this world. And the most peaceful thing that you're ever going to see in this world are people that understand the eternal perspective. All hell can be breaking loose around you. There can be death and suffering. And they understand that this life is like a vapor. That's the hope that we need. You guys understand that? Everybody's freaking out about stuff in this world. And like, you know, they want to argue about whether they believe in God or not. And there are people that understand this life is like a vapor. And anything can come down their path. And they are unmoved. And that doesn't mean that life doesn't hurt once in a while. Because it does. Right? The only way that we can know and to understand God the same way that David did is to pursue God personally. All right? We should never hold our belief about God above or even alongside who we believe in, right? We have a number of biblical examples of this. It's not just David. You guys remember Peter, right? Remember when they came to arrest Jesus and there was this conspiracy and they came to arrest Jesus in the garden? What did Peter do? He pulled out his sword and he chopped the ear off a little kid. Literally, he did that. Right? I can talk to, because this had to do with little kids, okay? So parents, you're going to have to talk to your kids and all this. No, this really happened. And Jesus was like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't the way that his things are supposed to go down. And he took the ear and he put it right back on that kid. But he thought, Peter thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing the right thing. Peter, he had walked with the Lord for three years. Like, he'd known Jesus. He had already been rebuked by Jesus a number of times for other silly things. This was the guy that had, had walked on water, 
right? And, and here we have him responding in a way. You're like, well, how could that guy do that? How, wouldn't he know better? <laughs> That's us too, right? Saul, who was later called Paul and wrote half, like half of the New Testament, he thought that he was honoring God. And you know what he was doing? He was arresting Christians and persecuting Christians. And he was convinced, not only as just an unbeliever, as the most educated Jewish scholar in the history of their culture, one of the most educated Jewish sages of his time was completely confused about his belief in God to the point where he was doing God a disservice. We're not even that educated, and we don't think that we can do that. Abraham slept with his maidservant, thinking that he was going to fulfill the promise of God in his life. Wrong. Okay? James and John were dubbed the sons of thunder because they went with Jesus into this town and they were going to give the gospel and they were going to save this town. And when the town was like, nah, we don't want your Messiah, they were like, should we nuke him, Jesus? <laughs> they said, in, in biblical terms, should we call fire out of the sky and consume them? And I know that there are people in this room that have prayed that prayer against people that they disagree with theologically and politically today. It's not funny. That's horrible. That's, that's not how we're supposed to behave. The disciples were trying to keep children away from Jesus. Man. And Jesus said, no, unless you become one of these, you're not fit for the kingdom. Right? Like, I just, I, I've never wanted children. In fact, I wanted to not have children. That was my goal in life, um, was to not have kids. And one of the things that has happened is, like, that little girl that's here and that little boy right there, like, I just, I'm willing to, you know, deconstruct my faith as I walk in life with them to be able to see the reality of God because he uses those children to speak to us, you know? And it's like, you know, we were in prayer up there this morning, we were praying with the prayer team and my daughter, like a number of times, she's like leaning over and she's asking me questions. Dad, you already prayed once. Why did you pray again? I'm like, you can pray as many times as you want. It's awesome. You know, she's like, oh, okay. Right. And it, like, she's just, you know, I don't want it to be like, Shh, you can't talk during prayer. Yeah, you can. You're talking with Jesus. He's here. He knows what we're thinking anyways. Right. It's an endless list. The point is that we get something in our head about how we think God works. And then we formulate it and we interpret everything that we can about it. And when we can't connect the dots between what we believe and what we see around us, our world falls apart. And it's happened. It's been happening for the last two and a half years. It's been happening a lot longer than that. We just haven't seen it, okay? We watch this happen. In, instead of taking things and kicking things kind of into Jesus mode, where he's unfazed and he just walks through it and ministers, we go King Saul mode, and we hide our vulnerabilities, and we feel like we have to protect ourselves. That's not what we're supposed to do. If we want the heart of God, much like David, we need to do away with what we think we know about God and understand it's a pursuit of a relationship, not a pursuit of knowledge. All right? It's not. And I know that this is hard for the, some of you in here that like, would like to study theology. There's nothing wrong with that. I love studying theology. We got a PhD in church history, a seminary professor that goes to our church, and I love having him around because when I go and I walk through some of these things, and I'm like, man, this is really kind of different than what I've heard taught before, right? 
is this, you know, and I, we go through scripture references, and he can check my work. And he's like, yes, yeah, Seth. He's like, you're on the right track here, man. It's great, right? Even though David had a number of issues that hindered his calling, God knew that David had a special understanding of his heart, and it came out in the Psalms. And that's what, that's what I believe Jehovah meant when he told Samuel, I have found someone after my own heart. You know the gospel is? We, most of you probably know what the gospel This is what the gospel is in a nutshell, okay? It tells us that we are more evil than we could ever imagine and that we are more loved than we could ever hope. That we're more evil than we could ever imagine and we're more loved than we can ever hope. And if you struggle with like admitting that you know, humanity at its core is evil, just look around. It's not getting any better. It hasn't been getting better since the beginning of the world, right? Okay? As I observe myself, as I observe my friends and my family and other members of the church, we've placed this gospel message. Harvey, that's enough. Okay? Pull it together. I just got to the good part. I'm just kidding. That's my little boy over there. He's awesome. All right, back, back here. Ready? Okay. As I observe myself and the people around me, I can see that this priority has been placed, the priority to pursue God personally. Okay? This priority of the gospel message that we're more evil than we could ever imagine and we're more loved than we could ever hope. That truth is not at the priority level that it needs to be in our life. Because if we believed that, and that was the top priority in our life, we would see things going differently. The people that we're trying to minister to would actually see the love of God. They wouldn't have to take what we say and try to formulate it and go, okay, yeah, I can kind of see that. That's not what they would be doing. They'd be, you wouldn't, They'd be going, whoa, I see that. I see it. And since I have started focusing on this aspect of my walk with the Lord, I'm going to tell you a few things. Like it's, I run an outfitter and a guide service up in the UP. And so, so I, I pastor a church up there. Um, but my, my, my day job is that I take people fly fishing for a living out in the bush. And we go all over the place. And the interesting thing is that I've got people that have been showing up to my shop that like out of the blue, um, for sake of, you know, just privacy for some of the individuals that are around, like people that like CEOs of large companies, right? Like it's folks that like got probably better things to do than spend a day with me, I would think. And I literally have these guys showing up and being like, tell me about Jesus. I'm serious. I, I had like a couple days ago, I had this guy show up at my shop and he walked in and he goes, Hey, I want you to take me for a ride. And I thought he wanted me to take him in a ride in this new car that I got. And he got outside and he's like, I don't want to go for a ride in that thing. I want you to take me, I want you to drive this thing. He had one of these new, like fully electric cars. I'd never driven before. It's like, wow, that's cool. So I get it. I'm like, what is this guy doing? This thing's like a spaceship, right? Where it's driving itself. And we get back and I'm thinking like, what is this guy doing? And he said, Seth, I have, I owned one of the largest private security firms in the Midwest for 25 years. Uh, first generation immigrant from Poland. Um, to come in here and he goes I've wined and dined celebrities I've wined and dined politicians he goes I've never met anybody like you in my entire life he goes I need to know what you believe about God I was like take a number man <laughs> like and I'm not saying that like trying to be cocky 
I'm saying that because those kinds of things you can ask the people around me have been happening to me for the last couple of years of my life, like once a week. And I'm like, wow, go figure. Like I, I rework my relationship with the Lord and what I believe about God in a way that is true to his word, but actually like has legitimacy in my life. And I'm not just regurgitating things that other people have told me that really don't make sense, but I say them because it's the right thing to say. And I get those things out of my life and I start discovering the reality of God and the creator of the universe. And then all of a sudden, like things start coming together. What do you know? It doesn't mean life is perfect. It doesn't mean I don't have trials. It doesn't mean there's not tribulation. I mean, aren't like, like literally held a guy at gunpoint in 10 minutes in my home uh, during a break-in when that little girl that was up here dancing during worship was six weeks old. Guy got, guy got dropped with a taser in my bedroom by the police department, like eight feet away from where she was sleeping. She never woke up. That week, one of my buddies led him to the Lord in jail. I went before him into sentencing and testified before the court and told the judge, hey, you don't know this, but before I moved to Iron River, I got out of 18 months of a substance abuse treatment program. I was strung out on all kinds of drugs. And so if you throw the book at this guy, you're going to lose the opportunity to have another one of me in this community because he just got saved. And the judge is like. <laughs> and it was awesome. Like supernatural things, guys. Not just random stuff, like supernatural things that happened. I held that guy at gunpoint when he charged me in my home, knew that I had a gun, and the Lord stayed my hand and completely like stopped the entire situation. I mean, he did get dropped with a taser, so there was that. But, you know, <laughs> anyways, as we walk through these situations, I believe that the enemy, okay? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I laugh at conspiracy theorists. You guys put way too much stock in the human, like, abilities, um, but there is a conspiracy, and it's, and it's spiritual, right? And, it's, and we're told in Ephesians 6 that it's not a battle against flesh and blood, right? It's a, it's a spiritual battle in heavenly places, and it's a battle for our soul. And I believe that the enemy has, has worked his way into our heads. I believe this. Your heads and mine. Nobody is exempt from this in this room. I don't care what you think. And it sold us the same lie that he sold Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, which was that, that you can know God. If you eat this, you'll be like him, right? It was the tree of what? Knowledge of good and evil. Huh. What a coincidence. And the thing that we're struggling with right now is having too much head knowledge about God to the point where, like, we can't actually work it out in our, in our walk. A lot of churches, you know, if you are in this room today, if you are alive in the United States, Christian or non-Christian, you are in the 1% of most educated and wealthy people biblically in the history of humanity. In the history of humanity, the world, you're going to give account for that. You're going to stand. First, or 2 Corinthians 10, I believe it is. The Bema Seat Judgment tells us that we will all stand before God and give an account for what we did with what we had, what we were given. We were told, we've been told by the enemy that we can be like God, knowing good and evil. It's a counterfeit misunderstanding that has led us astray, even as Christians. It's the same lie, and we've bought into it. And this is why we can get so distracted. One of the things that distracts us is, is knowledge. Knowledge. You realize that like back in the day, you didn't know what was taking place in the town over? You couldn't. You didn't know what was happening in the next country. I mean, unless there was some messenger that came by, right? But it wasn't like you could just open up your smartphone and know exactly what's taking place across the world right now. And what happens is, is we're given that knowledge. And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that knowledge puffs up. And so what we do is we go, oh, so there's this group over here that's feeding us knowledge. And we're over here in our community, your community. Think of the neighborhood that you live in. 
I would put money on the table right now. Sorry, Lord, I'm not betting, man. Okay? I would put money on the table right now and say that you treat the people differently in your neighborhood because of what you hear on the news instead of what you actually know about them and know what their needs are and know their backstory and know their history and know why it is that they do what they do. They're hurting people around you, all around you, next door to you. And instead of understanding and trying to get into their world and to minister to them, you've made an assumption about what they believe and who they are and where it's us against them and all this stuff because we have knowledge. Somebody else is telling us about all, right? You follow me? This is not the knowledge of God. This is not the heart of God. The heart of God was what we saw in Jesus when he went to the well and he sat with a woman and he ministered to her on her level. Right? right. Our knowledge of God has replaced our relationship with God. And that's, that's why there are people that are just like, I'm out. I'm not doing this. I say this and I mean it. If I wasn't a pastor, I wouldn't go to church every Sunday. I wouldn't. I'd have my own internal struggles. Some of my frustration is with other Christians. And it's just like, man, like I don't get it. Some of it's pride in my own heart. Right? Maybe that's why the Lord called me to be a pastor so I'd go to church every Sunday. <laughs> right? There's one more correlation I'm going to draw for you here. And that is that surprisingly this type of attitude was the same distraction that caused the Jewish leaders to crucify Jesus. Okay? There were a lot of factors that played into it. Many of us think that if I said, well, why did, why did the Jews crucify Jesus? Well, some of you would say, well, it was because they didn't believe he was the Messiah. I don't really think that that had anything to do, had as much to do with it as we think. I believe that the reason why the Jews crucified Jesus, the religious leaders at that time, was because they were in defense mode. They had just gone through over 400 years of what they call the silent period, the Maccabean period, where the Lord had not been moving in the temple the way that they had previously known. You realize 400 years? It's not like there were people that were 400 years old. They were dealing with a generation that great, 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 great grandpa told us this happened, but we've never seen it. How many of you feel like that sometimes as believers? We've heard of revivals. We've heard of things happening, but we've never really seen it. Some of us have. Others haven't. And so there's no reason. Why, why would we believe in God? So they had this religion that they were clinging to, just going, this is all we have. We're just going to hang on to it. And then they started dealing with political upheaval. The Roman Empire started taking over. Now they're thinking, man, we got this and now this and now there's that. And so by the time Jesus showed up, they were in full-blown defense mode instead of trying to understand the heart of God. That's you and I. We're in defense mode as Christians. Because we have a preconceived notion of what this country is supposed to look like. We're in defense mode as believers because we think that, you know, those people and those people, and we don't even know their names. We just categorize them, right? Instead of having the heart of God for each and every single person around you. One of the things that I try to, teach, what, to, try to train myself to do is when somebody offends me, the first thing I need to do is try to get into their head and be like, why? What, what, what is taking place in their life? Like my little girl, she, I tell her two things before she goes to school every day. I say, you need to make sure you be nice to everybody, especially the ones that aren't nice to you. Especially. And I've taught my daughter and her teachers from pre-K and now into kindergarten, both sets of teachers have come to me and they've said, what do you teach your kid? They come to me. I'm not lying to you. Like, they're like, she like focuses on the school bully or the one that won't listen in class. And by the end of this school year, that kid not only is friends with your daughter, 
but listens to me as a teacher. And I'm like, look, I just, she, I explained to her like, look, babe, when those kids are mean, sometimes they don't even know why they're mean. And sometimes they just need friends. Why do you think Jesus said that unless we become like a child, we won't enter into the kingdom? It's those kinds of attitudes. And for her, it's simple. It's going to get more complicated when she gets older. And I understand that, right? There are a lot of complicated issues out there. But is that where our head's at? Like, is that what we're doing? And so the Maccabean period, the Roman occupation, these Jews were hanging on so tight to what they thought they knew about God that they missed him when he showed up. If we are in a place that is similar to that, guys, we're missing it. We're missing it. Even as his followers. This would be like one of those days when the, the disciples were arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. It didn't send them to hell. It didn't mean they weren't saved. It just means they were kind of out to lunch a little bit, right? That's, that could be us. Some key verses to remember. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. Job, this is like one of the best books that you can read on this subject. The guy that thought he knew God, and then things changed, and he went, wait, what? And he went to his friends, and they were like, oh, yeah, it's like this. And I was like, no, not really. And there were lies that his friends told him that they were convinced of because of their belief in God. Guys, it breaks down. It's, it's messy. It's crazy, right? Behold, God is exalted, Job 36, 26, and we do not know him. Chew on that for a little bit. You don't know God the way you think you do. I don't know God the way I think I do. And yeah, there's part of that that's kind of like, oh man. But it's just the truth. You know what the truth does? It sets you free. Oh, wait a second. Okay? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of his law. Job 5, 9, who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. Job eleven seven. can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? You guys realize that we have discovered 10% of our ocean life on planet Earth. 10%. We're sending robots to Mars, and we have 10% knowledge of what's in our own water, on our own planet, in the water. It's crazy. And we think that we can understand God. We think that we can talk about the LGBT community having never lived it and, and understand like how to minister to other people groups that you might not understand and you don't even know the God that created them in his image. These are, these are like real issues. And we don't have a clue. And we're telling ourselves that we do and it causes more problems. And I know that there's probably some people in here that are just like, all right, Seth, like, so what's the answer? Like, what, like, if this is true, what, how can we even have a framework for our relationship with God? You can do what David did. And you can seek him with every fiber of your being. And when things don't line up, this is one of my favorite things. And it's become one of my favorite things. And sometimes I feel crazy. Sometimes I feel like, like, I pastor a, a Calvary Chapel, which is a non-denominational denomination. Um... <laughs> And, and um, I, that's kind of a joke. I'm going to get kicked out of there one of these days. Um, and, and what happens is, what happens is um, I enjoy 
this like really weird twisted sense of my relationship with the Lord when the circumstances that I run into in life challenge what I believe about God. Because you know what it means? It means I'm about to discover something new about God. That's what it means. It means that I'm about to discover something new about the God that I believe in. And it's going to align with his word. I don't have to worry about it, guys. Like when I have something that happens to me and I'm like, uh-oh, this challenges my theology. What am I going to do now? I can go into it with that mentality and I can try to stranglehold what I believe in and end up crucifying the Messiah over again. Or I can let go of it. I can go, God, I just need you to show me through the power of your word and the Psalms. I've been studying the Psalms now. We just finished up for two and a half years. And you can go through. I want to encourage you. Landon actually wanted me to encourage you too to study the Psalms because it's so good. And it will challenge you. It's extremely challenging. The things that take place and in every circumstance, especially those ones that were written by David. You know? Again, look at it through this perspective. He was ordained king as the nation of Israel. Any time a trial, any time a trial presented itself to David, you know what he could have said? I'm the king. Rightfully so. I've been given this right by God, and this is what I say. You want to know how many times he said that? Never. I know that I would have said it. I'd have been like, dang it, people, I'm the king. Right? Whatever. And I would have been throwing my weight around. And when somebody got in the way, you know how easy it would have been to justify getting rid of them because they were the ones that were disobedient to God and conflicting with the calling that God put on my life? Guys, that's what we're doing as Christians today. We're, this is our right. This is our that. This is, we're, you know, we're supposed to stand up for what's right. And, and the whole time we're taking what we think is right and we're putting it above the people that we think are wrong. But we're just as wrong. And when we seek the heart of God the way that David did, when we seek the heart of God that esteems us finding him more than us strangleholding what we believe about him, the heart of God then becomes available to us in our relationships. This isn't teaching against theology. I, I, I don't like it's I read my Bible, I study my Bible, I look for the ways that that aligns, and there are difficulties with that. One of the popular difficulties that some people have, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just I'm gonna get ready to wrap up here, but one of the one of the popular difficulties that takes place is like when I was growing up, you know, the question would be asked like, well, what about like genocide in the Old Testament? When God called the nation of Israel to go into the land of Canaan and wipe people out. What about that? You guys may know this. You have a scholarly pastor um, and, and he may have shared this with you. But when God gave his problem to Abraham in the book of Genesis, he said that in this, as your descendants grow, he said they're going to go into captivity for 400 years because the sin of the Amorites has not yet become full which in the scope of the timeline literally meant that God was allowing the rightful children of God and the heirs of Abraham to go into captivity to the Egyptians for 400 years because the people that lived in Canaan didn't have an opportunity yet to repent. And God allowed his own people to go into bondage and slavery to give another people group a chance at salvation. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, and the only people that were actually killed in those circumstances were people that knew that Jehovah was God and took up literal weapons against him. And then they lost. It wasn't God just going out like, you know, nilly willy wiping people out. 
Okay? That's not what happened. And when it talks about that, and you guys are like nodding your head now, you're like, wow, that's really cool. Check this out. Maybe, maybe that's taking place right now. Maybe Christians in today's day and age are being subjected to some form, which isn't equivalent to slavery in Egypt, okay? You're not being forced to build the pyramids right now. All right, get over it. Maybe there's things that are changing and God is allowing it to happen so he can see other people in the world receive the gospel. And we're over here throwing a fit. We need to stop. We need to seek the heart of God. We need to chill out and we need to look for every single opportunity that we can to learn more about our God so that we can teach others about him. And maybe we need to take a break and just to, and to study him a little bit more and to figure him out before we run around and try to tell everybody else that we got to figure it figured out. That's how I feel. I believe that the Lord has given me this message for Christians. And we've been walking through it as a church in a long, for a long time now. And this is the beauty of studying the Psalms. David was constantly confronted with conflict. But it didn't tear apart his relationship with God. Even at times when it went against what he thought he knew about God. And the best solution to an argument with my wife is to stop everything and to say, hey, I love you. Do you love me? Let's just establish the baseline here real quick. Let's just establish the baseline. I love you. And I will do anything for you. And we know that that's true. And it's a mutual love for one another. And then you can be like, okay, now let's, off of that, let's talk about the other things. Because all of those other things come down to that. It's the same with our relationship with the Lord, right? It's not just external conflict, but the conflict of who he thought God was. David was challenged in who, the, who he thought God was. God, you know, what's up? But he continued to discover who God was, even when it cost him, especially when it cost him. That's my encouragement to you guys today. I don't know, you guys closing a worship song or something? No. No? Oh, that's it. Just a dramatic ending. Wow. Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it's, it's humbling that we can stand here in this building and talk to you freely. It's so humbling, especially after reading the things that we've read and, and we consider the things that your word tells us through the lives of people that you've used. Lord, we get the privilege of serving you, the same God that called David, the same God that called David to build the walls of Jerusalem, to live his life in conflict. And I would venture to guess, Lord, that the, one of the reasons why he, you allowed David to live his life in conflict and still discover you is so that we could be here studying it today. And so I pray that for the folks in here that, might be a little rattled by this or might be encouraged by this or whatever, every single person here that you would just help us to walk worthy of the calling in which we've been called. Lord, that we would stand, but we would not stand on our knowledge of you, but we would stand in our relationship with you. And when the boat's getting rocked back and forth, Lord, that we wouldn't freak out, but that we would just turn to our Savior. Because it's only you, Lord, that can offer any kind of peace there's a peace that passes all understanding. And we desire it so that we can be about your work in a pure way without all of the things hanging off of us that we allowed and that we collect and that we just hang on to through our lives. 
So it's with this prayer, Lord, that, that I pray, and it's in your name, Jesus, that I, that I ask that everybody in this room, Lord, would just consider this, Lord, in their lives right now and search for ways that they can serve you in a deeper way, unhindered by their own self. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray all these things. Amen? Thank you, guys.